Hello and welcome to another episode of 21st Century Vitalism. This is a show where we're exploring how we can best maintain a sense of energy, inspiration, and wakefulness while dealing with the unique stressors of this strange and potent time. My name's Brett, I'm going to be your host on this journey, and today's episode is covering one of my absolute favorite topics, chocolate. Or more specifically, cacao, which is the precursor to chocolate. Having been used for thousands of years in Central America for ceremonial purposes, cacao has been an incredibly important aspect of that region's culture and spiritual expression. Not only does it hold a spiritual connotation, but it also has an incredible list of health-boosting properties, which is why it's often considered a superfood here in the States. Thousands of people are finding their way to this beautiful plant either by drinking it in an intentional cacao circle, replacing their coffee with it, or just by munching on chunks of it. Either way, there's a lot of buzz surrounding it. And this is why I thought it would be really important to invite my friend Nick Meter onto the show, who is the founder of Soul Lift Cacao. He's been working with this plant for eight years, even going as far to establish a direct relationship to the farmers that source his product. He offers annual cacao retreats to Guatemala, teaches new facilitators, and offers a host of educational workshops and cacao circles in Portland, Oregon. So for this episode, we not only talk about the intricacies of cacao itself, but also the history and culture of the region from which it comes. We explore the effects of capitalism and appropriation, and how we can work with this plant in a way that honors the traditions of old while incorporating our own unique voice. So whether you're an established cacao consumer or completely new to its existence, I think this is going to be a really juicy one that is extremely important. So that's what we're going to be doing today, everybody. If you want to plug into Nick's platform, head on over to soulliftcacao.com. He has an online shop where you can order your own cacao and begin your own journey into this really wonderful and mysterious plant medicine. If you want to support this show, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, you can subscribe on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or consider sending me a one-time donation at Venmo at brett-kane-1. I also have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism, if you want to just make sure that we can help keep the lights on. Uh, and that's going to be everything for today. So this is a really good one. I'm really excited to release this to everybody. Uh, it's something I'm just so passionate about as well. So very, very thankful for the way that this turned out. And uh, yeah, without further ado, please kick back, drink some tea, do some stretches. Most importantly, open your heart to Nick Meter. All right. Heck yeah, Nick. We're now live. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. Uh, as we were just saying, um, I mean, for me, this has been in the works for a while. You've kind of always been on my roster as I've been kind of shuffling things around because today's topic is actually really important to me as it obviously is to you. But this past year has really shown um, its uh, full potential to me in a lot of different settings. So what that is, is uh, cacao. Um, and it's one of those things where I have kind of been prophetizing it for a little bit now. And I'm almost always met with like the same thing of it's either a variation of, oh, so it's chocolate or like, what even is that? Why would you, 
why would you use that? <laughs> so I think the, the best starting point is to just kind of explore like what, what the heck are we talking about? What is cacao as opposed to just chocolate? Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. And uh, first, I'll kind of say a little bit about myself. I have been working with cacao since 2015, actually, and it had a huge impact in my life. I was dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome, which was kind of a vague um, diagnosis for just basically feeling exhausted and uh, lots of brain fog for, for years, so for like five years. And uh, in 2015, I had what... Uh, is called there's this term ceremonial cacao right which we can talk about uh throughout this chat because it's it's a complex uh uh situation in the world in the world with cacao right now but the when i say ceremonial cacao i mean basically handmade mostly handmade except for the grind it's done mechanically uh but using traditional practices and and so with what i was going through with that health situation, chronic illness, uh, I was trying all different kinds of things, um, anything I could get my hands on really, or, or any practitioner I could get in with. And ceremonial cacao ended up having a really uh, big impact in terms of helping me turn my health around. It took some time, but um, but yeah, it is the original form of chocolate. So especially at first when it came in, I was uh, kind of bewildered and confused and skeptical. I was just you know, I had always loved chocolate, but it it was very mysterious how it could have th that big of an impact suddenly. Uh, even though I loved chocolate throughout my life, uh, it, it's been a long process now throughout these last, well, what, seven years? Eight? Yeah, seven or eight years uh, to, to learn more about where cacao comes from, the, the history of it, the traditional preparations, and the, the cultures that have been uh, cultivating and uh and preparing and using cacao in especially in ritual ways but also in culinary ways uh, for thousands of years mm. so when you say that it's the original form of chocolate uh what exactly do you mean by that well most people just don't know where chocolate comes from uh, including myself i had no idea that there was any plant component in chocolate you know that's one way to put it and it it, it really varies from chocolate bar to chocolate bar, but uh, but chocolate couldn't really exist without cacao. Cacao, uh, Theobroma cacao is the Latin name for the tree. There, so Theobroma is the family. There are different trees in that family, but uh, chocolate specifically comes from Theobroma cacao. And, and Theobroma is the Latinized name for food of the gods, which was, as far as I understand, kind of an interpretation of uh, a European who are the, you know, the Europeans that came, it wasn't, I don't think it was a term that indigenous people were calling it food of the gods, but, uh, but the, the, the Europeans, obviously that's, you know, a whole, whole topic in itself, the, the harms that were caused through colonialism and the conquista, but there were certain people that came in who just witnessed the admiration and respect that indigenous people had for cacao and, uh, and, really ch tried to make a record at least of, of, of some of the ways that it was used and revered. Uh, but yeah, that's um, the go going back to the, the question, cacao is the main ingredient in chocolate. Okay. So with everything else that goes into like the modern chocolate bar, what, what is that kind of taking away from the experience of just 
digesting and imbibing just raw cacao like what ends up happening in that exchange yeah it's a long story i actually just read that uh up until sometime in the 1800s there was no such thing as an eating chocolate right like when we when we hear the word chocolate we think of a chocolate bar usually or hot chocolate uh usually chocolate bar though something solid that we are biting on Whereas, I mean, they might have, you know, chewed on cacao seeds or cacao nibs. Those are the broken pieces of seeds. Uh, but in general, the way that cacao and chocolate were cons- consumed, if we use the word chocolate, uh, was as a drink for thousands of years up until uh, about 150 years ago. So even the word chocolate comes from the indigenous word chocolat or chocolatl, depending on uh, which part of Mesoamerica it was in which uh, I've heard different explanations for what that word comes from. It's either the bitter water, meaning like the bitterness of the cacao in water, or possibly also the sound of making the cacao drink like choco. When you when you use the tradition of molinillo, the stir stick, it makes like a choco choco kind of sound. And um, so I've seen I've seen both of those in, in, in books, both of those explanations. Interesting. So yeah, what was that like for you to, you know, you're exploring all these different treatment modalities and like, how did cacao kind of present itself to you? And at what point in your healing journey, did it, you like have kind of like a waking up moment? Like, whoa, this is, this is really powerful. This isn't just what I thought chocolate was. Yeah. The main turning point was participating in a modern cacao ceremony in 2015. It was at a, uh, small festival in West Michigan, actually, where, where, where I'm from, where, where you're from. So, uh, well, I'm from the Detroit, but yeah, I was at a little festival and somebody camping near me hosted a, a what they call a cacao ceremony, which we can talk more about. That's kind of a vague term, but now I would call it a modern cacao ceremony, which is like a group meditative experience with the cacao. And it was specifically cacao that had been made in small batches, grown without chemical pesticides and fertilizers. Uh, roasted over wood fire, which it, I've come to uh, believe really strongly and as, as an important step. It's not the way that everyone prepares cacao, even even uh, if they're using the term ceremonial cacao. But to me, uh, the wood fire roasting, they're peeled by hand, the seeds, or what most people call cacao beans, but they're actually the seeds of the plant. Uh, yeah, so made very small batch, artisanally, uh, mostly hand, by hand. And... Uh, I, oh, you asked how it, how it, you know, presented itself to me. It was that, it was that ceremony, essentially. I just went in kind of skeptical, not really knowing if, if it would have any significance. I had already done a lot of spiritual practices at that point and been in different kinds of ceremonies and they had had, you know, positive impacts or results, but just sometimes, especially I think with stronger uh, plant medicines or psychedelics, it, I found that it could be difficult to integrate something back into my day-to-day life or uh, to not have it just be a peak experience and then be like, okay, was that just like a dream kind of thing? Whereas with cacao, it's so gentle. It's not a drug. It's not psychedelic. Uh, So now I think of it as actually easier to integrate um, any insights or just like a felt sense of something being different uh, because we don't leave our ordinary awareness really or, or consciousness. It's just so subtle or gentle 
Yeah, that's something that I found to be really beneficial with it. And where I'm at in my spiritual journey, I used to, I mean, I kind of came up in the Michigan music scene, which has a heavy emphasis on really strong peak experiences, usually of the psychedelic variety. And, you know, a lot of people place a lot of value in those experiences. And I think that they definitely serve a function. But I really do, I'm starting to really appreciate just like, subtlety a lot more and like if we can have kind of a bigger download less far away from our normal waking consciousness then i think that that's something that we can actually take into our system a lot deeper um so you know i'm kind of curious like you you have this this um inaugural ceremony with it um at what point did you realize that that was positively affecting your um, generalized fatigue well, I didn't really realize the full impact of that first ceremony until maybe a year later, because, wow. uh, you know, that was 2015. At the start of that year, I thought I was just going to be sick for forever, because that's the stories I was hearing about um, other people with that diagnosis. But uh, so the ceremony was in July or June or, June or July, <clears throat> and pretty much immediately, or maybe I already had started training for a walking pilgrimage. Because I, I had this just intuitive sense. So this was before Cacao even came in. I had this desire to walk the Camino de Santiago pilgrimage in Spain and at least some of it. You know, I didn't know if maybe I would just walk uh, a portion just to just to try, you know, not really knowing if, I, if it would even be possible. But uh, with Cacao's help and, you know, at first after that ceremony, I only had this, this stuff from the store like like organic cacao powder, which is better than nothing, but it's definitely just different in terms of the uh, artisanal quality and the sensation compared to <clears throat> the full bean content cacao paste, like I like I now sell. But uh, yeah, after that first ceremony, I I just started training and and using a lot of affirmations and embodied practices, gentle yoga, and keeping track of how much I was walking each day with that intention then to walk the Camino de Santiago in the fall. And I, uh, like I said, I went not knowing exactly how far I would be able to go, but I ended up walking over 400 miles on the Camino. And then there were waves, you know, I, like when I came home from that, I, I definitely felt sick again, but I had already booked myself on a trip to Central America for 2016. I spent four and a half months, excuse me. Um, traveling to Guatemala, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and then back to Guatemala, uh, partly at that point to learn about cacao. So I did visit my first cacao farm on that trip in Costa Rica. And uh, it just kind of, you know, went step by step. It's just felt like cacao was uh, giving me a little bit of motivation and support to keep going because it wasn't just cacao. It was like I had to make all kinds of changes in my life, but it felt a little bit like having a a coach in my corner. That's amazing. So at this point in your, in your journey, as you're starting to form this relationship with it, was it something you were kind of doing every day, kind of like in replacement of coffee or were you still kind of holding out for Mm -hmm. like ceremonies and like keeping it kind of in a container? Did it start to become more part of your daily ritual? Yeah, it was very personal for the first uh, while because I would just have a little spoonful of cacao powder, really, like, you know, even on the pilgrimage, I, I had a bag of cacao powder with me. Uh, sorry, I 
blinked out a little bit. I'm I'm, I'm getting over a cold <laughs> right now. No, that, that's really okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of was the answer to it in terms of yeah. was it something you were doing kind of more of a consistent basis or maintaining yeah. the ceremony? And and that question still comes up uh, in my work now. People ask me, like, does it need to be done in ceremony? Or uh, And some people do believe that it will, like, you know, have more of an effect so, or you can access more of the benefit that way. Uh, it definitely can deepen. Uh, well, I, I think cacao can deepen any kind of introspective practice. But at the same time, I've seen people... Uh, I've seen people's lives change just from having what I would call real ceremonial cacao, mm -hmm. even if they're not necessarily using it in a very structured uh, ceremonial or like spiritual practice kind of way. So uh, I, I do believe that it is a plant medicine in that sense. And, uh, and I also, on the flip side, see some people hesitant about it because of that. Because even if they're not doing the, the yoga or like hard spiritual work, just having the the real deal cacao, I, uh, it can bring up feelings, you know, it can, it can put us more in touch with our body sensations. And for some people, that's scary. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's funny that you bring that up because, you know, I had had like a few experiences with it that were not really in like structured environments and it might not have been like ceremonial grade cacao. But um, I attended a ceremony that one of my close friends was hosting. It was probably with your product. Um, mm. But we had like a structured uh, thing. They had like an intention setting. And I went in so cocky because I was like, I've had cacao before. Like, you know, like I, I respect it, but I also like, I know what this is about. And halfway through, I just started like crying. And I was just like, mm. what is happening? And things just started to come up. And it's just such a profound substance because it is so subtle and yet it just it attunes yeah. you to so many different sensations that whether they're always there or they're not um i think it, it can catch some people off guard mm -hmm. you know yeah it's very subjective to like more recently i've had all the varieties that i carry tested for caffeine and theobromine is really the the main unique active compound to cacao theobromines and some other foods, but not in as high amounts as it is in cacao. Uh, so yeah, I've had it tested for some things like that. And it's just strange because there's not necessarily an objective correlation between the amount of caffeine and theobromine and how activating or, or powerful a cacao can be. Like some of the ones with lower numbers, sometimes I have them and I just feel like, you know, really, really strong energy or activation. Yeah. Do you think a big part of that has to do with like where you're at when you start engaging with that? Yeah, I think there are a lot of factors to it. Sometimes when the cacao comes right from uh, right now, I only source from groups in Guatemala. So uh, occasionally when I get the cacao right away and have it, it feels more wild or, or more alive somehow. Uh, I do think there. So in the tropical world, there's a bit of a disagreement about the like a possible aging or curing process that can happen after chocolate is ground and, and contained somehow, almost like how wine changes once it's in the bottle. That's mm -hmm. how I think of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it does seem to me like uh, once the cacao is in the packaging and it sits for a month or so, it starts to kind of mellow a little bit. Whereas, okay. yeah, fresh off the, the mill, you could say. Um, yeah, even yesterday I had a, a cup that's um, that was a little bit, uh, more recent arrival and it, it, it felt different to me than, than some that I've had that have sat for longer. 
Yeah. So kind of going back to your story, because like now it's not something that you just use, but this is like your life's work. Like this is your, yeah. your business. You just opened up a cafe. So mm-hmm. at the point of you traveling to Guatemala and all these Central American countries, um, at, you know, at this point, did you already kind of like recognize like I am going to be spending a lot of time with this? Like how did that relationship develop in terms of like, I'm going to, I'm going to hang my hat on this. Yeah. in well, 2016 was that first really long trip through Central America. And even at that time, you know, cause I had gone through all those health issues. I was struggling with some aspects of living in America really. So, so I was wondering if I might spend part of my time somewhere in the U S and part of my time in Central America, almost have like two home bases or, or three. Uh, it, it's just sort of led to being, uh, kind of nomadic for a while where I would, you know, try different places. And I had already done that to some extent before the illness too. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of happened one step at a time. Like I, I started sharing the cacao when I was still living in Michigan or, you know, I was back there for a while. I was just hosting weekly cacao circles with the cacao that I had carried back in my suitcase. And, uh, and I saw that it was, you know, having a profound impact on people. I definitely saw just from a weekly group meditation with cacao that some people were having, making profound changes in their life, mm. which was really inspiring. And uh, so, yeah, one thing led to another. Some At some point, people in other states started asking if I could send them cacao. And I hadn't really thought about that. I, I didn't really think about selling the cacao at all, really, you know, when it was first having that impact in my life. I just... I just wanted to bring it back because it was not able to get it. You know, you couldn't, it was really difficult to find in the U S at that time in 2016, uh, the, the artisanal wood fire roasted type of cacao. So yeah, yeah, just like one thing led to another. I moved to California in 2018 and that's when I decided, uh, first of all, to stay in the U S for a while, like as, as, as my primary base, instead of that idea of, going back back and forth. Like I know a lot of people who still do that. They spend like their whole winter in Central America. And uh, my intuition told me that wasn't for me. So so I just kind of rooted down in California, uh, registered the, the official food business and got to work. <laughs> Didn't have any like training in business, which, you know, if I could, if I could go back, I would, I would probably I've gotten a degree in business instead of whatever I did in school, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. but I've just kind of learned along the way and, um, you know, it's always challenging, but, uh, especially since 2020, there's been a huge growth, I think in the whole ceremonial cacao movement, but definitely with soul lift cacao, uh, the combination of people, well, the pandemic and people shopping more online, but also people hearing about ceremonial cacao and wanting to give it a try and sharing it with their friends and more people are hosting, events like ceremonies or even like a yoga class with cacao so there's there's uh some very interesting i mean it's it's always challenging with with growth trying to keep things sustainable and and ethical and like you know keep the authenticity there but now things are in a little bit of a weird place with inflation uh and yeah just just uh, 2022 was a very difficult year i'll say for for as a small business and I moved my my shop to a different location so right now it's not so much a cafe it's mostly just a a place where people can get the packaged uh, goods and uh, I'm hoping to do more classes and uh, like I I love giving people a slideshow 
kind of like a virtual tour of the whole tree to cup uh, life cycle that the cacao goes through. Because even that uh, can help people understand the the whole, you know, what happens before the the wrapper, so to speak. Yeah. And then I'm leading uh, tours now in Guatemala. Um, wow. They're, okay. they're, I'm hoping to do those at least twice a year, maybe more, because that has been so rewarding for me since those started. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of fulfilling that that earlier desire to be in both places more. Whereas, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there were a few years where I couldn't go back because of uh, the pandemic and and just being so busy with the business. Yeah. Well, I don't want to like hit this over the head too much, but I do think it's fascinating how much of a relationship you've formed with the people who are sourcing um, mm-hmm. the cacao. You know, was that the original group that you met with when you first traveled down there? Do you kind of like shop around a little bit and kind of find one that lines with your ethics and values? How did that? Yeah. Well, like I said, at first I wasn't even thinking about selling the cacao. So it was just really a personal intuitive journey. And starting in 2016, I was working just with one farm and I I really liked their sustainability practices and, and their cacao. But then in 2018, there were some shifts that first relationship ended just, just kind of, um, didn't continue. And, and that year I was meeting other groups. Uh, I saw more projects starting to like more, more, more cacao projects starting to pop up and, um, just would, you know, evaluate all the different things, like, like try to check, on uh, how the cacao is grown, where it's grown. And I found that even within Guatemala, you know, when we talk about single origin, usually people mean a single country, like in the world of coffee, for example. But uh, in this case, uh, when I say single origin, I mean like a single village or or even a single farm in some of the cases. So it's amazing how even 50 miles or or less uh, away, two two cacaos can taste and feel very, very different. Yeah. uh, So close to each other. So it's... um, I mean, that gets into the whole question of like genetics, which is actually something that people overstate their certainty about a lot when it comes to cacao. There, there are some general understandings of cacao genetics but uh, and general types. But, but when people say 100% something, usually they're just making that up as a marketing yeah. thing. Yeah, it sounds really good. Have you noticed that your interaction with these farms has brought them like extra prosperity and like do you feel like that's something that like has been mutually beneficial for them as well absolutely yeah you know i from what my understanding i think um some of the groups are prof- more profitable than i am actually uh because the the cost of running a, a a business in the u.s a legal business it's it's high with taxes and and the rent and all the overhead uh whereas on the unfortunate side of um well, I consider it unfortunate in the movement that a lot of cacao is sold in more of a black market way where people just uh, either bring some home or it's like, you know, I, I started that way for like a year. And then I, I, when I decided I really wanted to do it, I, I registered it as an actual inspected food business. Whereas today, if you go on Etsy and search for cacao, there are all kinds of uh, products on there, but it's not really possible to know where they come from exactly. Or, uh, yeah, just because, um, it is a trendy thing and a lot of people decide they want to try to be a part of it, but they haven't really put in the work to, to check like, 
is this grown in a good way? Is, you know, whatever people told me about the cacao on the sourcing side, are they being honest? So, so yeah, the relationships have uh, been extremely important. And that's, that's one of the most important things in my work is the relationships with the sources. Last year, I finally started collecting uh, a wide array of uh, information, basically to, to know how long the cacao is fermented uh, how many people are working at the farm? Are the the people who are doing the toasting, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, toasting and peeling? Are they making at least minimum wage? You know, in in the place that they're working, all these little kind of questions that that uh, especially when someone's newer to sharing cacao, they they like I did at the beginning, maybe just take for granted that because there are these words about it being. Um, ethical, for example, that term gets thrown around a lot, but what does that actually mean? We have to look at the finer details to make sure. Yeah. So as somebody who is kind of struggling to live in America, as you said, do you have any fear that like capitalism will like seep its way deep into like cacao sustainability and all of this, um, positive uh farming techniques and stuff do you feel like there is any chance at all for that to kind of go upside down yeah uh you know one example that comes to mind is nestle they have a product called abuelita chocolate that's an old product but it's basically a ripoff of mexican drinking chocolate like the traditional uh mexican drink chocolate and i find that kind of thing offensive to say the least i'm sure there are people with, with heritage in that part of the world that, that would find it even more um, offensive. And that's something worth stating, right? That I'm uh, someone of European heritage. So as cacao had such a positive impact in my life and I started developing this business and these relationships, excuse me, uh, I've had to do a lot of work on um, just, just to be careful in my work, right? Because even if I have a positive intention, uh, coming in as a foreigner with my desire to to build something to build my project uh there could be negative there could be unintended uh harms that just um sometimes there's an assumption that harm is happening even if it's not i'll say that too and that's that's part of the call out culture that that you know it's like um that movement has uh has uh, been an important step, I think, for people to find their voice and to use the internet to to raise their voice about things, about harms that are happening in the world. Uh, but sometimes there's an assumption of harm as well. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, so for the past five, you really like five or almost six years, I've um, just been in a lot of deep conversations about like, uh, what's an okay way to to share the cacao? Is it even all right for me to be doing this as, you know, American, an American person of uh, European heritage? And, uh, you know, all the cacao workers that I, that I have asked say that they want the cacao to be shared as long as uh, people are respectful and and humble. But that's sort of a, an open uh, question and conversation too, that's uh, always happening. Going back to your question though, about uh, basically, yeah, the term cultural appropriation needs to be stated there as well, <clears throat> because to me, the danger with big corporations manipulating these ideas would be more blatant forms of cultural appropriation or just like abusive 
power too. Um, one other thing I've heard about recently is uh, uh, big companies like Hershey's making investments in smaller uh, fair trade and or organic companies in order to diversify their uh, their business because um, I guess we haven't talked about commercial industrial chocolate too much yet, but most uh, most industrial chocolate is sourced from West Africa or Brazil, both cases, both places where uh, essentially like child labor and, and, and slavery conditions exist. And people don't want, to, so far in my work, it seems like people just don't want to acknowledge that when I try to um, tell people that it's really hard to hear, like imagine that the the bars that you see in the grocery store could actually have slave labor uh, behind them. It's really hard for people to digest that, but that's the reality of it. There's uh, last I saw there are something like 1.5 million children in slavery like conditions in, uh, especially in the Ivory Coast. That's a country in West Africa. So, and it's not just children working like you know in rural areas anywhere in the world there are going to be children helping their family with stuff that's just you know even in america it's like chores happen but uh the 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 problem is when children go to a different country it it becomes also an issue of human trafficking really mm-hmm. where they're going to a different country thinking they're going to be able to send money back to their family and then they find that they're not getting paid there's no way to get home they're not getting an education and a lot of their like injuries it's just a really um messed up situation. So I see a company like, you know, just for example, Hershey's, I saw them investing in a, a smaller American brand, kind, kind of trying to greenwash their, their you know, uh, catalog in a way without, mm-hmm. without getting rid of the slave labor that's still in their own supply chain. That's, uh, so there's that, that's, uh, you know, one area of concern. And then, yeah, there's also the possibility that some of the big, more industrial companies might just sell something that they call ceremonial cacao, but it's basically factory produced. And that already happens to some extent. There are a few brands in the U.S. and other places that are using the term ceremonial cacao or ceremonial grade cacao, which is definitely a big um, term that doesn't really have any meaning. Uh, and a lot of times those are basically just pure ca- cacao with nothing added, or maybe they add mushrooms or something. But if even if they're paying better than fair trade rates for the raw cacao seeds and just importing the seeds, but they're processing it in like a bean to bar way in the U S it just isn't sending that much money back to the source. And it's cutting out the indigenous people who had the whole spiritual uh, connection and, and ritual practice with cacao throughout history. Yeah. Do you think that maintaining that spiritual connection practice with um, the actual substance of the plant. Do you think that that's an important part in kind of creating that ceremonial space and that ethical non appropriate way? Well, that's the safety net that a lot of people use. Unfortunately, it's like when the cacao is not made the artisanal way with indigenous people involved, then that's when I see people say intention is what matters, right? So if, right. no matter how the cacao is grown and prepared, if you have the right intention, that's what makes it ceremonial. And I just don't agree with that because that gives permission to cut the indigenous people out. Whereas I think um, actually it's also not the best way to try to like replicate the indigenous 
ceremonies exactly. If I'm not Mayan, for example, it's not actually ethical for me to try to lead a Mayan ceremony. So, yeah. uh, so it's like the, the sourcing and the preparation needs to be done in certain ways to me. And then, yeah, it, uh, how we use it is something to consider, but uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a cup of ceremonial cacao and then doing work, for example, right? Whereas some people would say, oh, it's, it's not something to like have before working or before just going out with, you know, into my day. But I would say that the make, even the making of the cup is a ritual. So, mm -hmm. and, and it's like, even if I'm in a like bad, you know, bad energy or something, some people say to be careful about your energy. And this is even kind of part of the traditional belief about cacao is like, to not work with the cacao unless you're in a good energy or, you know, unless your energy is clear or something. But to me, it's like, I really believe that it's a plant medicine. So if I'm in kind of a funky state and I do anything with the cacao, then it, it puts me in a state of reflection and I start to consider, Oh, do I need to hold on to this, you know, grumpiness or whatever that is happening for me? So there's all these little things to consider. Um, I, I, I think there's always, um, you know, there's, uh, what do I want to say about the, the whole, <laughs> that when it comes to all the practice, it's like, I'm just a very, uh, spirituality to me is a very subjective personal thing. So I would never tell somebody that they need to use the cacao in a certain way. And, and that's part of my belief. It's, I, I know some people are more like strict about spirituality, but, but to me, this, that's that's just that's very connected with my relationship with cacao too is is mm -hmm. that uh that ability to find my own way day to day so you know sometimes i i will have it and and do yoga or go for a walk in nature do something more like intentional in that sense but usually not <laughs> and yeah. and and some people would say, yeah might might judge that right but i i just don't yeah I think it's an interesting contemplation for anybody who's kind of opening a ceremonial space, anybody who's sharing a spiritual practice that often comes from a different like region of the world. There's kind of like this uh, tightrope you have to walk of like honoring the tradition and not misrepresenting it, but then also making it your own so that you're not appropriating it and yeah. you know acting out of what your nationality is. You know, it's like, how have you gone, you know, when you first started sharing cacao with people up until today, when you do share this medicine, have you kind of developed your own way? Like, what does that look like for you? How did you find your own unique voice in this much broader world? Yeah, uh, well, the way it has evolved is about acknowledgement. So that includes telling people everything that I went or, you know, telling people about how it's sourced and prepared, right? So if, if I do host a, a, a workshop or I, I don't use the term cacao ceremony anymore, partly because of some of some of the Mayan guides that I've worked with asked uh, me not to use it. And uh, so if I do host a, a, a workshop or, or I'll call it a cacao journey or a cacao circle, something like that. Um, no, I spaced out. It's a little bit foggy <laughs> with my cold. Yeah, no, that yeah, the cold thing happens. Yeah, just like finding your own unique voice and not appropriating, but still honoring the tradition. Oh like yeah. How you so acknowledge, yeah, acknowledging where it's uh, grown and prepared, or how it's grown and prepared, and then acknowledging that I'm not Mayan. So if I'm in front of a group like that, uh, and this is what I teach in my 
I, I do facilitator trainings as well uh, to, to, uh, to hopefully, well, actually, usually I'll put that on the event page, uh, just a little bit about myself and the fact that I uh, am not of Mayan descent. And uh, so, um, you know, some acknowledgement that it, it's, um, that I wasn't born into a lineage to work with this as, uh, you know, as some people are, not just cacao, but, but for example, uh, a spiritual leader in the Mayan world, oftentimes they're born into that lineage and cacao is just a part of the big picture of all that. But, um, and then also, so especially at the event, then I, I like to verbally acknowledge uh, the, ideally the, the specific group name that cacao that I'm serving at the event. Uh, so all of my labels, uh, all the, the pure cacao that I sell, the label shows the region, excuse me, the region that it was grown in and the name of the group or, or person who uh, runs that project, basically. Yeah. So that energetically, I think, is way different than just telling people that this, like a lot of uh, cacao events still just say, uh, that this is a Mayan practice or, and I, I think they're trying to give acknowledgement and say like, you know, that Mayan and Aztec and other indigenous groups have used cacao in, in spiritual ways for thousands of years. But, um, and I, I think I probably did that too when I first started sharing cacao, but also because there's not just one resource to go to in the indigenous world to get the answers about how it was used or, or what's the right way to share it. It's really, it's so, so many different conversations and, and 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 now even just within the last uh well year really i've seen a new kind of willingness uh in some of the groups to start sharing more about the the knowledge and and beliefs that they uh have kept hidden especially over the last uh, 70 years or so because in not just in guatemala but really throughout all of latin america there's been a lot of strife and warfare, but Guatemala in particular, it's, um, it, it's been really terrible. There was a civil war for like 30 years and 200,000 people died. And, and even though it's called a civil war, really it was more like a genocide against indigenous people there. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, so it's like the, the conquista that happened five years ago was terrible, but, but I think even more terrible, even more brutal and horrific was this civil war that happened. And, and there was even even more of a attempt to hide uh, the indigenous ideas and wisdom. And, and even today, there are um, assassinations, essentially, and, and oppression and villages uh, tormented by the government in parts of Guatemala. It's not everywhere, but uh, it's it's a, still a sensitive thing. And and so you know, it's it's this. It's going to take some time for for there to become a clearer picture outside of that world, uh, you know, just like um, the ways cacao has been used and the beliefs about it. And it, it, it still seems to me like uh, there's never been an only one way of working with cacao, like uh, different families seem to have their own little traditions with it. Definitely in the culinary world, I think is how it has, um, like even before chocolate bars, uh, I think cacao survived uh, through through foods like like mole sauce in in Mexico, for example. It's there's still something sacred about food and cuisine, 
and and very strong beliefs about food anywhere you go in the world uh, but we don't think of it like uh you know like a spiritual ceremony so. right yeah i feel like it's just really deeply moving and important that you're incorporating the story of the people who grew it when they're coming from a region that's just been terrorized because mm-hmm. i mean that's really an effort to silence and eradicate that culture that belief system so the fact that you're very in like a, it seems like a very earthy way to do it of just like here's the the straight facts of where it comes from these are the people these are their names like there's something about that that feels really connective mm-hmm. and maybe not on like the surface some people might go to a spiritual workshop looking to i don't have some really transcendent experience but there's something really earthy about that that feels just so important and like honoring that mm-hmm. i think is just yeah it's just really striking me right now to feel that i appreciate that i have a background as a journalist actually i went to journalism school and uh, i do get um you know i try to be aware too of my privilege and and power as a a white cisgendered american man who uh, I, i am aware that i i can raise my voice right and not necessarily face the repercussions that uh, other people, even in the U.S., might face, but especially like we, were, like I was just saying in in Guatemala. So um, when I witness the kind of things or hear the kind of stories that I have, or, or, or just see people sharing cacao in kind of a flippant way, or or you know sharing it at a a, raid, a rager type party where there's just not mindness or mindfulness brought to um, to it right? It's like, there's not only one way to share it, but there are wrong ways to, to share it yeah. or, or wrong uh, things that can happen after people have been served cacao or, or ways of, that people are taken advantage of, for example, right? Especially in the uh, spiritual world. But um, so yeah, it's like, it's part of my journey that I'm a writer long before I ever became a facilitator or a small business owner. I, w- I, I was a writer and I, I like to analyze and synthesize and create context and meaning. And, and I consider myself an interpreter in some ways of like trying to create a, a meaningful context for ceremonial cacao with where we're all at. Uh, I mean, especially in, in the U.S. That's my, my core experience. But, um, but also, you know, I, I've experienced call outs just mainly on the Internet, people who had never met me before, but just saw that I was, uh, uh, um, you know, European heritage guy working with cacao, and that must be wrong, right? Even yeah. even that is yeah. um, offensive to some people, and and they're, you know, it's like everyone's going to have their beliefs, uh, but I've kept going with it. In some ways, I'm still healing from some of those encounters. They've, they've been brutal, some of them, uh, and just being kind of a sensitive <laughs> guy who who wants to have a positive impact. Uh, that's, that's been something that I've just had to navigate to really like keep going. Every time it happens, I go back to my sources and my teachers in Guatemala and I, I check like, wait, did I misunderstand something? Are you sure it's okay for me to be sharing the cacao and, and uh, doing this? And they're, and they're like, yeah, you're, you're fine. Just, um, you know, there can also be a little bit of a spiritual bypassing that happens sometimes where, uh, you know, if, if people are not willing to acknowledge the pain th- that some people have about cacao uh, spreading around the world the way it is, even, even if, um, you know, uh, even like in my case, I'm trying to be really respectful and, and ethical, but 
um, but there are still going to be people that are, are processing the grief and sadness about the f- fact that something that was, was only part of their culture for a long, long time and, and given every, every pain that, that their culture went through or if their family had to uh, emigrate from their country to the U.S., for example, uh, that's, just, that's very real, too. And, and so it's just something that uh, I'm, I'm trying to educate more people to just be more aware of even how they talk about cacao. If, if, if a white person, you know, teaches about cacao and they're just like really bubbly about it and, and light, you know, love and light, all that kind of thing, it can be offensive and even um, painful to somebody who has that uh, grief around it in their, in their family history. Yeah. Well, it's just really interesting because it's a way of preserving a culture and telling a story that isn't just like the words coming from your mouth, but it's also the experience of actually imbibing, like even just imbibing it is a part of the story. And it actually, it seems like it like energetically aligns you with this reality of something that is both very powerful and beautiful, but also wrought with like pain, you know, and it's just such a... it kind of defies even the conversation that we're talking. It's like bigger than what we're even able to encapsulate it. It just, it points to something so fundamentally human and, you know, having that be a part like it, you need to have that in that. That's kind of the way that I see it. It's yeah, it's, it's really profound. Yeah. I, I, I've definitely heard about people having this type of relationship with other plants, uh, even subtle plants like rose. I know people have a lot of, you know, uh, um, yeah, just connections with, with other herbs or, or plants or, or things like that. Uh, so I know it's not just cacao, but, uh, and cacao is not for everyone too. That's the other thing I want to say. Like, I definitely know people who, um, it just didn't feel right to them and that's okay. It's, it's, it's not going to be everyone's medicine or not, not all the time. That's part of my spiritual belief is that different things work for different people at different times. So, um, you know, I've, I'm always trying to spread the word about cacao. I, I, I you know, feel like I'm in an echo chamber sometimes because it, it is my life. It's like my life's work and I'm always talking about it. But uh, but it hasn't gotten to, you know, it's still kind of in an early adopter phase, even though uh, there's been this trendy thing happening for at least 10 years now of people traveling to Central America and doing ceremonies. But I consider it still very much in an early adopter phase. And, and now with the new location I'm at, in Portland, uh, it's a neighborhood with a lot more foot traffic. And, uh, it's also a city that likes craft chocolate. So I think it's, it seems like a better place than where my shop was <laughs> at first to start to introduce it more to, to people who just have no idea. They're like, what the heck is ceremonial cacao? So there's a lot of education, which I enjoy. Um, you know, I try to make posters and guides and things for people because, because it can be overwhelming at first to, to really even try to grasp uh what what it is or you know how it's different than other chocolate yeah so you know i think for the people who are listening to this maybe they have not experienced it what would you say like how would you describe maybe someone's like first i mean it's going to be different for everybody obviously but like what are maybe some expectations they could have on i mean we're talking about it as a plant medicine not just a culinary like treat that you get or like a pick me up you know like this has like the potential to be really profound but if someone hasn't experienced any plant medicine, like it could be really hard to even get into the headspace that this could have an effect. Like, how would you describe actually drinking cacao? 
Yeah, I, I don't tell people much about it uh, at the shop, for example, because I don't want to freak people out if they don't already have uh, a spiritual practice. Uh, most of my customers, I think, are into yoga or meditation or, or things like that. At least people who buy through my website, which is still most of the business is online e-commerce. But uh, at the shop, if, if they're asking, you know, a lot of people ask if it has caffeine. I actually had it tested, like I said, and, and I found that it, the number, the milligram number of caffeine is higher than I thought from what people in the community were telling me. But it doesn't feel the same as coffee or tea to me. There's there's not like a spike in a crash the way that I experience coffee. <laughs> not everyone does, I guess. But uh, with cacao, it's, you know, it's like a warm and fuzzy feeling, I think. Uh, it is a little bit energizing. I feel clearer. Uh, but it's not, usually people describe it like not being jittery the way coffee can sometimes be if people have a lot of coffee. Um, so it's, you know, a little energizing, a little stimulating. It's like our blood is flowing little bit more freely and that's the scientific part of it the theobromine is actually a cardiovascular uh activator or stimulant and so our blood vessels are literally opening a little bit more the blood pressure comes down but we're probably getting more oxygen through the body uh, and i think that uh is part of the clarity or just you know feeling a little bit more focused without the the jittery right? um but it's really only if people uh, are at one of my events or or ask about the spiritual side of it that I will talk more about the the because those are like the superfood parts of cacao I would say and then the plant medicine side is people talk about feeling like heart opening effects which is kind of more symbolic That's right it's uh, uh, feeling more of love or compassion or forgiveness these kind of things. Uh, the, yeah, uh, it's so, so subtle. It's like some of those things people might not notice unless they are doing meditation or yoga. I think that's part of why I don't mm -hmm. mention it to everyone who comes in the shop, but, uh, but yeah, if somebody, you know, if I lead a workshop, I'll, I'll take people through some embodied practices, like some shaking or some breath work <clears throat> and then some more communication based usually just use either using their words or doing some work on identifying our beliefs or how we see ourselves and how we see the world and and giving people an opportunity to adjust that possibly uh so yeah in the body and then also in the mind but um but throughout any practice like that uh occasionally reminding people to just check in with their body and notice what kind of sensations are there, uh, whether it's that warm and fuzzy kind of feeling or uh, just some new sense of openness or something like a maybe a weight has been released a little bit. Those are very common things that people describe from cacao. Yeah. It's interesting because like I was saying at the start of this, this year I really started to form a new relationship with it. Like it's kind of, been throughout my life but this past year i've had just a lot more experience with it and usually it is in settings that were maybe um just really stimulating you know music festivals but i'd take a time with friends to sit honor it actually be present with it as we mm. open a container but then we kind of go out into the greater landscape and i something that i recognized at this last one i was at back in august 
uh, I was just like so sensitive to everything that was going around me. Whereas mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times when people are in those spaces, they kind of like numb out and the music's crazy and they're all dancing and having a good time. But I like was able to do that, but I also wasn't able to not really look around me and like, mm -hmm. like what is like this energetic soup that I'm in? How does it actually make me feel? And one of my takeaways was just kind of like, I just like actually don't feel good in this environment, <laughs> you know? And like, that was something that it was actually repeated at another show in the fall. I, I left after 15 minutes of being mm -hmm. there. I was like on a little bit of cacao. And I was like, I, I really like this artist, but like, I feel so uncomfortable here. Like I just, I felt way too open and it just like felt mm -hmm. like I just couldn't stop from things like penetrating me deeply. Yeah. And yeah, it was uh, overwhelming, even though it was so subtle. It's not like a physical or visual distortion at all. It's just like your energy is just so raw. <laughs> at least yeah. that's been my experience with it. Yep. So another uh, idea that I come back to in working with cacao is the idea of a container, which is uh, it, it can be the physical space. Like, you know, in that case, there wasn't really a container, right? Uh <laughs> So if, if I host a workshop, you know, I've hosted workshops at festivals and then it might just be in like a partially enclosed area, then I'm not going to lead people through exactly the same kind of activities as if we were in a private yoga studio, totally contained. Uh, but the container also can be symbolic, like, is it a confidential space? Uh, um, you know, I, I usually ask people to, to silence their phones and no recordings of any kind, these kind of things, uh, which there's in my opinion there's not enough attention to uh, uh given to this idea of container setting in spirit in the world of spirituality in general right now but but definitely not really in the cacao the modern you know cacao movement i would say so uh but you know hearing your story it sounds like yeah cacao gave you some insight anyway <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, it was powerful and I ended up kind of stepping away. And uh, luckily, I'm sure you know, if you're from Michigan, Dixon's violin, oh, yeah. he was playing. So I went and like found solace in that environment. Um, but yeah, it definitely uh, was one of those moments because I've kind of been in and out of the scene and kind of like, do I want to engage with this? Do I want to bring my, because I teach meditation mm. and, you know, like, do I want to bring my offerings to this? But then I like felt things like that. And it's like, uh, I just... I'm still a little conflicted on my relationship with it and that um, it did give me a lot to chew on, you know, for that, that evening. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it looks like, wow, uh, that was a really fast 55 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we covered, uh, honestly, one of the most like important things with like the story of cacao and where it comes from, who is farming it and like, there's, you know, a lot to be said about the ceremonial space. There's a lot to be said about plant medicines in general and what I think like the world needs. Um, but I actually think that this was maybe the best use of our time mm -hmm. to be able to sink in. So uh, I just want to say thank you so much sure. uh, for your expertise. Um, for, I mean, I don't know, I'm not plugged into the community of cacao, but it seems like you're really pioneering mm -hmm. And you're like on part of the forefront and the, the cavalry charge to respectfully integrating this into our society. So thank you for all the work that you're doing genuinely. An honor. My pleasure. Yeah. 
Um, you do have an online store. So yeah. Uh, yeah, how can people plug into you? How can, what do you have available for people who aren't uh, in your area? Yeah, soulliftcacao.com, uh, which I'm sure you can write out <laughs> in the description. Mm-hmm. Uh, shipping within the US is pretty easy, flat rate. And uh, if people have not had ceremonial cacao, I do make drinking chocolates as well, which is the same quality cacao, but I mix in some coconut sugar and different herbs and spices. Uh, so especially for newbies, that can be kind of an easy route. Also, that way you don't have to chop a cacao block. I do have some pure options that are pre-chopped or pre-ground, it'll say. Uh, but yeah, check out the website. And uh, I do have yeah some digital like self-guided courses on there. Uh, the intro course has the virtual slideshow I was talking about. If people want to yeah. just get some some basics on the nutrition, the superfood and, and plant medicine components, and even how that intro course also shows how to lead a simple ritual for people with cacao, how to prepare the cacao for for more than one person, which which can be a little bit intimidating for people at first. So yeah. yeah. Oh, Instagram too at Solar Cacao. I. I I post a lot there, not just photos, but like um, my philosophy about this, about cacao and, and this movement. So I, I try to, yeah, that whole, what you said about keeping it like grounded or earthy, that's very important to me. I think that's core to who I am. And um, I'm, I try to uh, bring a lot of information and interpretive, you know, context to and also Instagram and the newsletter through the website is the other way that I send things like that. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you again so much. Sure. This has been so informative. Uh, maybe we'll see you soon. Right. Of okay. course. All right, everybody, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through until the end. Once again, that was Nick Meter. You can follow him at soulliftcacao.com. He's also on the Instagram and the Facebooks and all the things. Uh, Make sure you get yourself some cacao. And, you know, he's got his recipes up there. It's really, really wonderful just to explore, see if it's something that works for you. Uh, Definitely works for me. So, uh, I appreciate you very much for listening. Again, my Patreon is patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. One-time donation at Venmo, uh, brett-kane-1. Uh, do all the social media handles. You know the deal. You're in the 21st century. You're, you're not new to this game. So I appreciate you all very much, and we will catch you in the next episode.